Ugh. My goodness. That's exciting, though. The mashup. Can't wait to hear it. Yeah. Someday. Maybe. Probably. Hopefully. Uh, but until that time, I'm just going to get my energy up to say... Welcome to Super Superstitious. <laughs> the comedy podcast about the science behind the spooky and the strange. I'm Jake. And I'm Wyatt. And I like uh, the face you made after you finished the intro. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Silent rictus. <laughs> Everyone will be laughing at home to hear that face delivered twice. <laughs> I'm sure. The sound of my facial muscles straining to create what can only be described as a face. <laughs> Anyway, this is the show where we talk about uh, weird things, mysterious things, scary things, whatever the case may be, and try and uh, understand it better using the powers of both science and friendship. I will warn you in advance today, my segment is light on all three. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, without further ado, should we introduce what this week's uh, segment is? Absolutely. We are only just a couple episodes into actually doing the show again, and... uh, we both agreed it was high time to get weird. Indeed. I'm talking that tent that will remain incompletely tapped for at least 20 more episodes, <laughs> if you understand what I'm saying. It is uh, almost impossibly, once again, time for... Yes, episode five, the Not Our Home States, episode number one, the first of states within which we personally have not yet lived, and for me, episode one of the My Wife series, <laughs> Ohio. And for me, I uh, when we were doing this last time, I realized as we started recording, I thought I was finishing it up with Minnesota, and then realized that I hadn't actually done Missouri yet, so I still have oh, one more my. state I did live in. So actually, Jake, this is episode five. We're now on different episode tracks. <laughs> we are. We're in different episodes. So let me amend this. <laughs> Homestay Errors, episode five. For Wyatt, it will be not our home states, episode number one, the first of states within which we personally have not officially lived. And then for me again, episode one of the My Wife series, Ohio. <laughs> and then I will be able to jump onto that whole, all of those next time. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. It's very important. <laughs> okay, Jake. Well, I think without further to do, <laughs> oh, take it away. Okay. Yes, I will. I will take it away. As I'm correcting my mistake in omitting Missouri from before. I also blew it and used up the Ozark Howler uh, in episode 154. Ooh. That's why I thought I'd done Missouri already. That was um, 
but that was uh, an episode about sounds, not about states. So yeah, I can't do that one today, having already done it. Womp. The topic I went with was one that I kind of did my best to avoid, but unsuccessfully. Um, we've been kind of biology forward in our, our episode so far this year. I wanted to pass up any cryptid talk in favor of something else, maybe uh, maybe caves or hauntings or haunted caves, something like that could be cool. Right. Um, but no matter what I tried, all roads led back to Momo. Momo. Ever heard of Momo Web? Um, no, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> the uh, my general just intro I have. It started to be my intro to Momo, but it ended up being kind of the whole thing. It comes from a familiar author. Is it writing, Momo Money, Momo Problems? <laughs> that can be the subtitle to this episode, maybe. <laughs> One of the subtitles to this episode. Uh, anyway, this, this comes from a familiar author writing about the topic back in 2000, uh, republished by the Missouri Folklore Society in their now archived section of Truman State University's website. Mm. Uh, I will begin with the words of... Any guesses? Momo? <laughs> yes, it's written in first person by Momo. The person Momo killed? <laughs> you hear Lauren chuckling behind the tree? <laughs> no. I, again, so this is also important to get out of uh, out of the way at the top of the show. <laughs> yes. Jake's Christmas tree is still up. <laughs> We're recording We're now on February 12th. 12th. <laughs> it is not only up, but Jake... Is alive. That's why it's still up. We um, we failed to mention this when we started recording back in January for this year, but the tree is still up because it is still alive, has not dropped so much as a needle, sucking up water every day. And as of today, the newest report is that it is growing. So Jake is fully on his way to a career of, of indoor silviculture as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I think so. Um, it kind of sucks because I miss having any space near my desk. This is the biggest Christmas tree we ever got, but we're not going to take it down until it's actually dead and it's not going to die at all, I guess. You just have too much Christmas spirit in that house. It's apparently. <laughs> you were about to say who said the thing about the thing. Oh, yeah. I wondered if you had any guesses who might have written this article. Oh, yes. Is this Lon, the Strickler Lawnmower Man? No, this is Lauren Coleman. Oh, not that Corin. Not that Corin. Not that Coleman Lauren. <laughs> not that Lauren Coleman. Yep. Anyway. Let's see you from the top. <laughs> uh, Northeastern Missouri has had its share of mysteries. Momo, as the monster of July and August 1972 was called, is only the most famous. Along River Road, which stretches north from Highway, Highway 54 along the Mississippi River and past the mouth of the Salt River, there is a long-standing tradition about a phantom man who walks across the road and vanishes. In the 1940s, travelers and residents repeatedly heard what sounded like a woman's screams emanating from the general vicinity of an abandoned lime kiln. The screams always came around midnight. Ooh. They were never explained. Scary. In addition to recurring reports of fireballs or, fireballs or spook lights, there have been a number of mysterious deaths in the area. The strangest of all occurred during the winter of 1954 when a man and woman were found dead in a car alongside the road. Ooh. The woman sat on the passenger side and seemed to be asleep. The man lay crouched under the steering wheel, completely nude, his clothing piled neatly 20 feet behind the car. Whoa. The coroner listed the deaths as caused by asphyxiation, even though the window on the driver's side was open all the way. What? This in 10 degree below zero weather. Now, when you say crouched... Balled up in a field position underneath the, uh, like, down in the floor area by the pedals. Wow. I don't know. Must have had a very large footwell. Yes. But anyway, this is all a solid setup to our overall premise, which is that Missouri has no shortage of mysterious mysteries in... It's uh, my favorite kind. Mm-hmm. In this little article, O. Coleman's. Plus, also, that last one sounds like hypothermia. 
Um, yeah, now I put up. this to the actual topic at hand, which is the Momo situation I've been talking about. He says, Joan Mills and Mary Ryan were not on River Road that day in July 1971, but they were not far from it. Highway 79 is a backwoods road which runs north of Louisiana, Missouri, a place that would uh, achieve a measure of immortality in 40 and annals a year later. Uh, Mills and Ryan had taken the highway on their way back to St. Louis because they were looking for a picturesque spot for a picnic. When they found a promising spot, they turned off on a, ro- uh, on a dirt road, put out a blanket, and brought out the food. Is this the couple that was found dead? No, this is a, an, all the first several stories he was listening were just like, oh, here's just a, a bunch of weird things I that see. happened thank in you, Missouri, and now here's a specific weird thing I'm going to actually elaborate on. Gotcha now. So he was just warming sure. up. Quote, we were eating lunch, Miss Ryan recalled, when we both <laughs> wrinkled up our noses at the same time. I never smelled anything as bad in my life. Thank you for demonstrating what? Uh, her friend suggested they were smelling a whole family of skunks. Uh, <laughs> suddenly her jaw dropped and she pointed toward a brushy thicket behind her companion. I turned around and this thing was standing there in the thicket, Miss Mills said. The weeds were pretty high and I just saw the top part of this creature. It was staring down at us. Miss Ryan added, it was half ape and half man. I've been reading up on the abominable snowman since then. And from stories and articles, you get the idea that these things are more like gorillas. This thing was not like that at all. It had hair over the body as if it was an ape. Yet the face was definitely human. It was more like a hairy human. Oh my. Uh, Then it made a little gurgling sound like someone trying to whistle underwater. (laughs) According to Miss Mills. <laughs> so yes, I hope we're all happy. I got roped into a Sasquatch adjacent tale once more. Wowzers. Yeah. It's ironic because I had one so, so, so served up for me <laughs> for Ohio, but I chose not to do it. And instead, oh God. Yeah. See, I chose not to do this one, but I, I was forced anyway because it just had to happen. Uh, well, you be. know what? Consider me wearing a t-shirt that says Momo Momo. <laughs> and can it me wearing a t-shirt that says super duper stitious <laughs> available now at super slash shop uh the hairy creature stepped out of the brush and proceeded to walk toward the young woman who dashed for their volkswagen and locked the doors the beast continuing to gurgle caressed the hood of the car and then in a clear <laughs> demonstration of intelligent behavior tried to open the doors I thought I was going to say try to fix the engine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It walked upright on two feet and its arms dangled way down, Miss Ryan stated. Caressed is such a word. I know. What a choice. Not touched or like even like. Grazed. Yeah. Lovingly. uh, Yeah. Caress, I feel like you only use that word exactly when you want some sort of intimate charge. It walked upright on two feet and its arms dangled down. The arms were partially covered with hair, but the hands and the palms were hairless. We had plenty of time to see this. The women were terrified, all the more so because Miss Mills had left her car keys in her purse, which she had abandoned outside in the flight to the safety of the automobile. Finally, said Miss Mills, my arm hit the horn ring and the, th- and the thing jumped straight in the air and moved back. She kept on beeping the horn. It stayed at a safe distance, then seemed to realize that the noise was not dangerous, Mary Ryan said. It stopped where we had been eating, picked up my peanut butter sandwich, smelled it, then devoured it in one gulp. He started to pick up Joan's purse, dropped it, and then disappeared back into the woods. Huh. Joan Mills ran out of the car to retrieve her purse and returned to roar on down the highway at 90 miles an hour. Once back in St. Louis, the two women submitted a report to the Missouri State Patrol. We've had difficulty proving that the experience occurred, Miss Mills wrote, but all you have to do is go into those hills to realize that an army of those things could live there undetected. 
This was a dramatic enough introduction to the events scheduled to erupt exactly one year later. John Mills and Mary Ryan were due to have their story confirmed in startling fashion. Scheduled? Yeah. <laughs> I hardly think it was scheduled to occur. Yeah. The Momo, Missouri Monster Scare, began oh. on Tuesday, yeah, July 11th, 1972, at 3.30 p.m. on the outskirts of the city of Louisiana, population 4,600. So to clarify for our listeners outside the U.S., each state here has a two-letter abbreviation, and Missouri's is M-O, hence M-O, monster, or Momo. I'll put into one thing. I think some uh, one of the newspapers covering it decided to call it that at some point, not just Momo. And for uh, outside of the U.S. listeners wondering why M.O. is the abbreviation for Missouri and not M.I., that's the abbreviation for Michigan. We thought, okay, why isn't it M.S.? That's, that's Mississippi. Uh, so it leaves not a whole lot. Um, Terry Harrison, age eight, and his brother Wally, age five, were playing in their yard, which sits at the foot of Marzolf Hill. Hmm. The two boys had gone off by some old rabbit pens in the woods next to the Harrison property. Suddenly, their older sister Doris, who was inside, heard them scream and looked out the bathroom window. He saw something standing by a tree, quote, six or seven feet tall, black and hairy. It stood like a man, but it didn't look like one to me, end quote. The thing was flecked with blood, probably from the dead dog it carried under its arm. Good boy. Its face could not be seen under the mass of hair covering it, and it seemed to be without a neck. I am without neck. <laughs> My wife, she's without neck. <laughs> The Harrison's dog got very sick shortly after the incident. Its eyes grew red and it vomited for hours afterward, finally recovering after a meal of bread and milk. Wait, the dog did? Their dog, who just was around at the time, got sick after this had happened, and they uh, nursed it back to health on a meal of bread and milk. Wow, like you do. The things you're supposed to give dogs to help them feel well, right? Yeah, both of those things (laughs) together, typically. Uh, That same afternoon, Mrs. Clarence Lee, who lives half a block away, heard animal sounds, growling and, quote, carrying on something terrible. (laughs) Uh, Not long afterwards, she talked with a farmer whose dog, a recent gift, had disappeared. He wondered if the monster had taken it. On July 14th, Edgar Harrison, Terry and Doris's father, and a deacon in the Pentecostal church conducted the regular Friday evening prayer meeting at his house. Around 8.30, the meeting began to break up. As Harrison and a dozen or so members of his congregation lingered talking, they sighted two fireballs soaring from over Marsolf Hill and descending into the trees behind an abandoned school across the street. Huh. The objects appeared at five-minute intervals. Weird. The first was white and the second green. What the hell? Yeah, there's a number of, of characteristic tropes that go with these kinds of sightings, but I'm especially fond of the uh, UFO sightings at the same time as Sasquatch sightings angle. Whenever Man. I see it, I feel like it sort of betrays a lot of the, um, you know, make any and all connections you possibly can tendency of Fortean folks. Yes, indeed. I know. Nothing, uh, despite my cryptozoological uh, fanboy feelings around very large apes in the world, nothing kills my vibe harder than they're being associated with UFOs, ETs, or like parallel dimensions that stuff anything that starts to come in like that i'm just like all right this is dumb people are trying so hard to make this thing real that they're fine like what if yes it's grasping for solutions and they're grasping for solutions deeper into the realm of of unknown stuff instead of like yeah trying to find concrete stuff exactly so like oh maybe we never see him because he like teleports into other dimensions before we have a chance to uh actually find him evidence and or like, anything yeah and that's why we never find bodies because they like they die in the, their other dimensions like eh. oh and that's well where 
that's as far as the scientific method goes where Occam's razor comes in like you know the fewer assumptions you make the more yes, thing is yes. true, but not the more <laughs> what's the most simple explanation they aren't actually there yeah carry on uh, about 9.15 Harrison heard ringing noises such as might be caused but they are there such as might be caused by the throwing of stones onto the metal water reservoir which stands at the top of the hill hmm the reservoir, which holds a million and a half gallons of water, is in an area where neighborhood children often play. After one especially loud ring, Harrison reported, I heard something that sounded like a loud growl. It got louder Ooh. and louder and kept coming closer. At that time, my family came running from the house. They began urging me to drive off. I wanted to wait to see what it was that was making this noise. My family insisted that I drive away, and so I drove down Allen Street across the town branch. I stopped the car, and my wife and family told the congregation, Here it comes! And those 40 people turned and ran down the street. That's all it took back then. Here it comes. And they're like, oh, we're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, police officers Jerry Floyd and John Whitaker went to the Harrison home. They searched the residence but found nothing. They never said it was in the house, but I, I guess that's what they did. <laughs> uh, late that evening, Harrison, along with several others, explored Marzolf Hill and came to an old building from which a pungent, unpleasant odor was emanating. Harrison subsequently described it as a moldy horse smell or a strong garbage smell. Huh. This is not to be the only time he encountered the odor. In the days ahead, he would find it whenever he approached an area from which the strange noises seemed to be coming. Ooh. Around five o'clock the following morning, Pat Howard of Louisiana saw, quote, a dark object walking like a man across the road near the hill. Now, when you see a thing walking, I don't usually call it an object, but yeah. figure maybe. I don't Being. know. I don't know that... Um, this particular article covers it, but like at least one of the descriptions described Momo as having a head shaped like a pumpkin and uh, glowing red eyes. Wow. So that may have been from the telephone that uh, yeah. happened afterward, but um, this, that's why I chose this one because it didn't have as much defense of One of the things nice. that we commend Lauren Coleman for trying, even if it's he tries. trying to seem legitimate, he does often avoid the most fanciful possible stuff yes which is nice so dark object walking across the street like a man at five in the morning on the 19th uh, police chief shelby ward led a search through marzolf hill accompanied by harrison state conservation officer gus artis and 17 others nothing was uncovered hmm. but the next day richard crow a reporter for chicago's irish times and for fate magazine and lauren smith went up the hill with harrison for another look Near the tree where Doris had seen the monster, Crow wrote, there was a circular spot in the brush where leaves and twigs had been stripped from the branches. Uh, further along, Crow found evidence that someone or something had been digging in an old garbage dump. And not far away, hmm. Harrison showed him two disinterred dog graves with the bones scattered about. Weird. Huh. Uh, higher up the hill, they came upon two tracks some distance from each other. The first, over 10 inches long and 5 inches wide, appeared to be a footprint. The other five inches long and curved was evidently the print of a hand the prints had been wow. made in hard soil there had been no rain for 10 days and crow estimated that it would take a minimum of 200 pounds of pressure to create such impressions so here is where things got confusing for me and here's where it kind of kind of goes into sort of the same realm as where i was in the last episode in terms of just like huh. trying to figure out sources i mostly use this one article like i said because it's mostly cohesive and non-batshit compared to other ones right. uh, but i arrived here only after bouncing from source to source over and over again most of which were terrible right <laughs> uh, a lot of them cite the website legends of america which itself cites Boy. nothing 
So it felt like a lot of oh, uh, no. dead end leads. And that's why I kind of decided I didn't want to cover Momo. I was like, oh, it seems like everything yeah, just leads fair. back to nothing. It's all tabloid all the way down. Yeah. So when I finally found this Lauren Coleman one, I was like, oh, this actually reads like, you know, a thing. Yeah, and, right. um, and cited some sources, but then trying to follow some of them made it more difficult. Right. Depending on which article you read, maybe two thirds of them say that the footprints discovered were sent to a guy named Lawrence Curtis director of the Oklahoma City Zoo and Botanical Garden for analysis. And then half of those articles will say that Curtis determined the tracks to be a hoax. And the other half will say that Curtis, quote, deemed the tracks to be that of an unknown primate species. So two extremely huh. different conclusions about the same little detail, which I almost wonder if that's yeah, why, no, kidding. why Coleman didn't include it at all in this or not. Like, there's future ones where he, it does bring it up, but like just says like the hoax explanation and not the unknown primate. No idea where that came from at all. Um, it does seem like any places that do actually refer, like have a source that they're citing and say that it was unknown primate species just lead back to Legends of America. Hmm. Whereas the ones saying that it's a hoax, several of them go back once. I like, oh, online sources indicate. And that, that text was hyperlinked to just the Wikipedia page about Momo. It's like, well, that's not an online source really. <laughs> and also the Wikipedia page doesn't have that in it. So I had to go back to... Like the archived 2001 oh or 2000, whenever, I guess actually that particular one was in 2012 that I was reading, but um, that particular version of the Wikipedia page and there it did have a thing saying, oh, like the, the tracks were sent to Lawrence Curtis at Oklahoma Zoo and he said it was a hoax. And that huh. cited a book by Michael Newton. It's called Encyclopedia of Cryptozoology. So I bought that. Wow. And in the very brief entry it has on Momo, he does say that Curtis found the footprints to be a hoax and that's it. And unlike, you know, modern online encyclopedias that oh. have in-text citations, he just has at the end of the article a pile of the sources for, or end of the entry, I should say, a pile of sources for that entry. Right. And uh, those were just like a handful of additional books of the same kind. And I, I did not feel like buying all mm. of them to just try and figure out what everything was, see if any of them actually had a primary source about the footprints. Right. Not that those were even the most interesting detail of the whole story. Anyway, it's just like I just... Wanted to know, like, oh, hey, did this happen? Why? Where did this really specific detail come from? And why are people saying two right. completely opposite things about it? So, don't yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. Dead end there. Whatever. Back to Coleman. Appreciate your due diligence, though. That's that's right. I mean, yeah, that's what, that's what Patreon money's for, right? Harrison let Crow <laughs> yeah, there you go. to an abandoned shack, which Harrison thought might serve as a resting place for the monster. While they were there, Harrison's dog, Chubby, suddenly ran away hilarious and then uh crow wrote we smelled an overwhelming stench that could only be described as resembling rotten rotten flesh or a foul stagnant water hmm. that's him boys harrison exclaimed he's around here somewhere <laughs> they shone their flashlights through the surrounding trees but saw nothing in the distance they could hear dogs barking furiously while the monster was about dogs would refuse to go up the hill but would run up and down the street in agitated fashion uh, within five minutes the odor had subsided Harrison Smith and Crow smelled it twice more before the night was over. They still never found anything. Hmm. Uh, on Friday, July 21st, so we're like, you know, a week and change into the overall sightings happening. Ellis Miner, who lives along River Road, was seat, uh, sitting home alone around 10 or 10.30 p.m. when he heard his bird dog start to growl. Huh. Uh, at first, Miner thought the stimulus was another dog passing through the yard. But when the dog growled again, Miner snapped on his powerful flashlight and stepped outside where he saw a six-foot-tall creature with long black hair standing erect. Ooh. As soon as the light hit it, the thing turned around and dashed across the road, past the railroad tracks, and into the woods. The end. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah, so a series of, of weird sightings happening in just this one uh, week and a half stretch in July of 1972. This, like I said, came from um, Truman State University's website of the Missouri Folklore Society, I think it was. Yes. Um, but this hmm. was a reprint of the cover story for the November 1st, 2000 issue of Fate Magazine, written by Lauren Coleman. Uh-huh. That's the bulk of the content we have. Like I said, there are other versions of the story that say, I think it's like more quotes from the little, like the younger kids when they saw it, like saying its head was shaped like a pumpkin, saying that they saw like glowing red eyes. I think that's where those descriptions come from. Gotcha, gotcha. But other ones like then kind of match them to everything. So everyone saw it that way. And like they make it out pretty weird. The uh, actual like visual depictions of it i've seen are pretty goofy i bet gives off major gossamer vibes oh my okay oh yeah gossamer of course kind of like ghillie suit monster kind of like so yeah what do we what do we think was going on here well you know the first and most at hand explanation would be mass hysteria as we've talked about a number of times yes. i would say small community not much ability to get clarity on what sounds like a very spooky thing and now any bump in the night any movement out of the corner of the eye can just grow into uh yeah gossamer shaped monster <laughs> um in a hurry so we have that first sighting in, in july 71 um that isn't necessarily the same thing it that it sounds pretty compelling and like an up close look at this really, really scary thing these two women saw but then a year later kind of nearby a bunch of stuff that they kind of tied to that right but it did begin in the the second chunk that like series of sightings in 72 with some kids seeing it and then uh right. their dad really taking up the uh the hunt for it and stuff and then like encouraging people in the town to also join him and stuff so it does it does have that right. kind of snowballing effect it doesn't i didn't see any indication that the stories from Ryan and Mills, those two um, women from before, were ever made apparent to the people in Louisiana, Missouri. Like, I don't think they actually knew about that having happened a year prior. Right. Cool that they, they weren't primed by a story of some kind of beast thing in their neighborhood. But uh, it did seem like yeah, once, yeah. once anyone was talking about it, the whole town was like, okay, this is what's going on. We, uh, we got to find this thing. In that case, because they were like hunting seemingly animal signs and this smell everywhere i do wonder if there's a chance they might there might have been some kind of like you know black bear on the loose or something there that someone had just gotten a glimpse of like the very last story we saw there of that um ellis minor uh heard a sound outside the dog was growling heard something outside saw something six feet tall with uh long black hair standing up on on two legs and but as soon as his light hit it it right. just like ran away so chance that it could have been like a bear up on his legs hind legs and then as soon as the light hit it it just like bailed and ran off didn't specify yeah, if it was if it went back onto four legs or not but uh as far as i remember the biggest predators of uh predator let's just see predator species carnivora of there you go washington university got uh the least weasel up to the black bear <laughs> black bears do do weigh 240 pounds so it could make a footprint like they described what really stuck out to me was them saying that this, like, they saw scuffed up areas and uh, in the ground and stuff, and then like um, some dug up uh, dog graves and um, some rummaged through garbage. That all sounds like just a hungry right. animal looking for something and following its nose. Yeah, and bears. Particularly are very well that known. it would show up in July 
each year at a certain season is kind of interesting as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd be curious if it was the same thing twice or not. But uh, as far as it being potentially something anchored in biology, also very possible that it was just like a couple of little kids saw something or just made something up. Yeah, and they just like either made up a story or just had no idea what they saw and what they described became the holotype for this thing and everyone's like oh this is what yeah this yeah is what exactly. it is. and then who knows how much people then after we're looking for an explanation in the kind of realm of 40 and stuff thought, oh there was a, a yeah. sighting of a thing the year prior in the same similar kind of area too oh it is the same thing and then just kind of it must be this thing making the descriptions fit who knows this kind of stuff happens a lot, but uh, right. it is an interesting little uh, little event in Missouri in uh, summer of 1972. It is kind of cool that time and time again, I mean, if we take it on the fun ride towards the Sasquatch type thing, the Bigfoot mm-hmm. phenomenon in general, even if it's just a hallucination, it is interesting that it is so consistent in its like features, uh, it seems like, with a weird smell and then this weird shaped being. Because I feel like you get that in a lot of different reports everywhere. And I just wish, even if it's just a hallucination, that I could have that experience. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing. That, uh, after reading know. all the stuff that we talk about on the show, it's like, but what about us? Why Why not us? Yeah. Because that's the thing. Like, if it were just visual, it'd be one thing. Or just a smell would be one. But, like, to have smell, sight, and mm. sound, you know, all these different senses coming together. And people sometimes just experiencing one or the other or a combination and it all tying back to a similar... It's just very intriguing. That's why I think I can never quite get it out of my teeth, even though there's no physical evidence. Yeah, it's got more spice to it than just the, oh, I saw things. Like, oh, I experienced a thing. Yeah, yeah. To wrap up my segment, in conclusion, it's with a heavy heart that I must tell you now about the song by Scott Cooper that accompanied the Truman State Post from the beginning. Oh, no. Yeah, there's a song about Momo. And yes, of course, it's four minutes, 39 seconds long. Wow. Got that margarita drinking rhythm (laughs) guitar in there. (laughs) Yep. Oh no, here comes Momo. one verse how about it? I listened as well have you heard of his tale some believe that he's still living somewhere in the Ozark Hills I'll, I'll leave it there but it's a uh, half rhyme <laughs> not a terrible song yeah but it goes on for another four minutes so it's dangerously close to the amber is the color of your energy type uh, oh, yes. sort of slacker stoner rock <laughs> yes which is perhaps its greatest crime and if you disagree with me and your listener you can see yourself out <laughs> there is any number of doors in the room you're in i'm sure <laughs> exactly and if you're in a car just go ahead just open that door <laughs> tuck and, and roll. roll on out of there <laughs> tuck and roll or don't <laughs> go full eagle just Straight rigid to the street. <laughs> God. <laughs> Anyways, what I have about Missouri. Thanks. Nice. <laughs> um, very cool, Jake. Well, before I jump into my segment, 
we would just be silly ding dongs <laughs> if we did not go on to mention the sweetest and swankiest brewery in western massachusetts one that i was actually recently told incorporates <laughs> big tank smoke monster amplifier acoustic spot any moisture and yeast and time to produce to make beer i'm just gonna say it i've i've had enough of all this controversy around what we call it it's called beer okay and thank you for loving your truth quiet. i'm trying to be brave for for once in my life uh four phantoms is the brewery the name is four phantoms enough of my antics they make a wonderful beer in western massachusetts distributed in the new england area but you can do yourself a favor and just go the heck over to the tavern itself in greenfield massachusetts and uh have one of their very fine barkeeps pour you some they have cool events upcoming which i will now use the internet to browse towards in the meantime we will once again shout out their latest uh offerings uh um golden axe which is an italian pilsner and uh black birch doppelbach or sorry tormentor a black birch doppelbach <laughs> i like it i like the name being black birch doppelbach and the kind of beer being tormentor, tormentor. <laughs> uh this is one we we have both expressed uh the keenest interest in having yes. some of the label looks so cool yeah drew if you still listen to the show uh, we would we would love some of this beer yeah 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 what jake said <laughs> anyway why you got them events queued up there ah uh, yes assuming you'll be listening to this episode on february 16th yes yeah yeah there yeah. this this very weekend at 6 30 there's the pop culture drag trivia night subtitle secrets of the kings and queens subtitle star wars uh which looks like to be a very good time at 6 30 to 9 at the tavern 4 p.m the very next sunday they have a book club and monthly craft circle oh then february 20th is free bacon night starting at four and then they have a monday night D D game which uh looks to be weekly uh how many more of these should i do there's a lot of other fun stuff upcoming check out their website fourphantoms.net linked as always in our description so you can check it out yes and thank you for phantoms thank you so much for phantoms you guys rule we love you so I kind of struggled with Ohio, I will say. This is my wife's uh, birth and chief home state. So starting from the core, working our way back out to uh, increasingly esoteric locations in her life story. Yeah, as usual, there are about 500 listicle-type kind of garbage articles that are more or less one-liner stories about, you know, a killer or the Gore Orphanage. Gorefanage? Precisely. There was indeed an orphanage that burned down, named oh. for a man called ah, Gore. I see. Um, Ohio is also home to the legendary Loveland Frogman story, which we covered ah, back yes. in episode 68, uh, as well as the Ohio Grassman, which is their handle for a Bigfoot-type critter, uh, which maybe we can dive into if we do a, is this real? No. Type episode. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, incidentally, Ohio actually has heaps of Bigfoot sightings, which we could uh, talk about, but that's, that's for another time. Yeah, weirdly, it's a hot spot. And I ain't talking about Twister. But for today, I will instead do my best to catalog the myriad legends of a little place called 
Helltown. <laughs> well, that I'm already very excited about. And no, I don't mean Cleveland. <laughs> uh, Helltown Suck is a real Cleveland. place. Yeah, in your face. I do love Cleveland, though. Cleveland's a cool place. Everyone should go there. Helltown is... I'm uh, obliged by my marriage contract to say that. Uh, Helltown <laughs> is a real place in Summit County. I really mean it. Summit County, Ohio. Um, and home to basically every single spooky legend that the American psyche can create. <laughs> I will, to the best of my ability, lean on Jim Willis, founder of Ghosts of Ohio, to cover the entire <laughs> menagerie of eerie stories uh, with suitable economy. And Jake, hopefully I've got this pulled together enough to give you two jobs. Okay. You need you need to guess true, mostly true, mostly false or false for each story. Wow. And then you have to let me know your favorite, least favorite, and... Ooh. And this is important. Middle favorite. <laughs> By the end. All right. So, okay. Legends of Helltown. Willis gives us a warning ahead of time that, quote, the stories currently circulating regarding Helltown are so numerous that it is almost impossible to track them all. <laughs> uh, so, we can buckle up from there. Mm -hmm. First, we have government conspiracy. There are numerous accounts that the government is attempting to cover up the fact that they spilled deadly chemicals in the area of Helltown. These chemicals are said to have caused bizarre mutations to area residents and their children. Evidently, this location is called Butane Town or Mutane Town mm -hmm. or Mutant Town. And if you happen through the area at the wrong time, you may even run into some of these mutated people who are naturally quite mean. Uh, and we'll get into where Helltown is and its backstory in a little bit. So don't worry. This won't just be a uh, weird list from some random place in the state of Ohio. Uh, Jake, what would you wager? Mostly, tr or mostly true? It is entirely false. Really? I'm saying this that because is... of the, the train derailment like earlier this past week in Ohio with all the toxic chemicals and then them uh, making everyone evacuate, but then also not like helping out in any way and just kind of not talking about it at all and... Wait, what happened? Arresting reporters. Yeah. Uh, on the 9th. Wait, 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 wait. What happened? A train derailed. Um, it's in a lot of ways kind of a direct result of uh, of the um, like strike busting that the government oh, did. Oh, yeah. Um, the, like rail workers were... One of their specific things was trying to push for regulations that would prevent this kind of thing happening. Yeah, train uh, derailed right in Ohio. It spilled Dang. a bunch of, of um, I think, vinyl chloride, which oh, is God. the uh, monomer from which we get PVC, um, polyvinyl chloride. So in, oh, no. PVC, in in polymer form, totally inert, in uh, monomer form, really toxic. And oh, uh, yeah, a bunch of like, it's burning a lot of fumes into the air, like, just awful stuff, kind of being swept under the rug. And it's bad. Wow. Whereabouts did this happen in Ohio, do you know? East Palestine, Ohio. I will check in with the family about this. How frightening. Yeah, My it goodness. ain't good. Well, it is perhaps going to create a mutane town of its own, not to be too flip about it. Uh, records show there were never any chemical spills, at least in Helltown. Okay. Um, but these stories are no doubt attached to the fact that there were, for a good amount of time, many buildings with U.S. government signs and abandoned or condemned signs on them folks see this abandoned town why is it abandoned well chemical spill there are a slew of cemetery legends willis mm -hmm. offers us uh simply a single sentence quote which reads 
The local cemetery is haunted by a ghost that sits on a bench and stares blankly into creation. <laughs> and that is genuinely how it's always described everywhere. Um, Willis himself detects that these there are so many articles that kind of circle back onto themselves through their citations. So it's this sort of hollow loop that Jake and I are try to avoid with all of our work as well on this show. So he's frustrated by it too, because his whole thing is, yes, I lead ghost tours, but also like let's dispel with anything that we can. So he's trying to knock these off one by one nice. and is frustrated by the fact that this is all they ever say about it. Mm-hmm. What would you say? What's the full scale I have of options? <laughs> true. Mostly true. Mostly false and false. And don't, you know, we can drop this right now because it's true. I think it's true. <laughs> you think it's true? Yeah. You're right. Uh, yeah, no, it's false. You dumbass. <laughs> God. Yeah. No. Who's, who knows? <laughs> the trees in the cemetery move. Ooh. Potentially as the result of satanic cult activity in the area. What do you Classic. think? Uh, I'm going to go with mostly true. Yes, it's just the wind. (laughs) Um, Several things about the cemetery itself. The cemetery is a dark foreboding place that sits atop a cliff and is, and you have to pick just one, possibly the creepiest place in northern Ohio. The cemetery road winds along a cliff or... You could try to drive your car up there, but odds are you'd slide down the rocky cliff on the other side. <laughs> so I'm choosing what of those things? Doesn't matter. All three apply. Okay. The cemetery does indeed sit on top of a small hill, but there is not a dangerous road that goes there. Are we okay. having fun yet? Graves of children. Boston Cemetery contains the graves. Oh, yeah. By the way, the town is called Boston. Ah. Not Helltown, but it has come to be known as Helltown. Gotcha. Uh, Boston Cemetery contains the graves of a large number of children who were all killed in a bus accident. Mm. What do you wager? Um, <laughs> mostly false. Mostly true. Oh, no. It does have children's graves, but none are the result of a bus crash. <laughs> okay, let's see. <laughs> uh, but there is a bus in the area, which we'll hear about in... 45 minutes when I get to the other side of this list. (laughs) Uh, There is an abandoned house in the woods where only one light always appears in the window upstairs at night. I'm going to go with middle true. (laughs) Middle true. Pretty good. There is a house in Helltown where a light stays on all night, but it is just simply a local hostel (laughs) that functions as a 24-7 boarding house. Well, how about Um, that? There's a local school bus, which has several parts to a legend. Part A, or just two parts, I guess. A whole busload of children was slaughtered in the woods by... And Jake, you have to choose one. Okay. A serial killer, a band of serial killers, (laughs) an escaped mental patient, several escaped mental patients, (laughs) or a group of Satanists or cult members. I want to say a band of serial killers because I like the idea of an organized group of serial killers, but I'm going to say the uh, the satanic cult. You're correct. You were correct if you picked any of them. Part B, the bus <laughs> is still there, although all the seats have been removed. But sometimes, and again, you have to pick your favorite of the three, <laughs> the bus fills up with the ghosts of the murdered children, each one sitting in their ghostly seats. <laughs> the ghost of a man quote-unquote the killer smoking a cigarette is seen at the back of the bus number three children's screams 
and or laughter are heard coming from inside the bus. Hmm. And interestingly enough, I'm forcing you to choose either a bus full of silent sitting children (laughs) or no children at all, but the sounds of children or just the guy. I'm going to go with the sounds of children. Love it. And then part C, locals have tried to tow the cursed bus away, (laughs) but each time they attempted to do so, some mishaps, which often resulted in injury and even death, resulted. As a result, they have decided to leave the bus there forever. Oh, all right. There's just that one. You have no choice. So (laughs) all of this comes back to... Maybe I should tell the history of this town first. I don't know. I I, I need to have a sidebar with you, Jake. Okay. (laughs) Okay, nobody else listen. So, Jake... I figured I would do the weird legends first and then the true history of the town because legends are more fun in their own stupid way. And I think the thing I'm building towards is just the fact that when you have a weird place, folks just start to tell stories and some places get a lot more than others. What do you think? Yes. So, wait, what am I saying here? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You're kind of gazing pensively out the window for a lot of that last part. I was. (laughs) I'm lamenting my life. (laughs) There is indeed a bus in the town, but, <laughs> or there was indeed a bus in the town, but the reason this town is called Helltown, the reason this town has no people left hardly, is because it was bought out by the government in 1974 to form the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Government swoops in, buys everything, including this bus, which did sit there for a time, But because it was ultimately the government's property, it was up to them to tow it away. Mm -hmm. So while it sat there, it accrued all of these stories. Uh But naturally, as stories accrued, people started to complain and it was towed. The complaint being the result of folks showing up from everywhere to come and look at this bus, which is uh, just total madness. Also, there are two (laughs) spooky churches that are given a slew of legends, including and you have to pick. A group of devil worshippers own the church. There is an evil man who lives in the basement and guards the church against outsiders. There are always candles burning in the church, even at night. The church has upside down crosses all over it. The church is never open for mass, no matter what time you go there. And all of the above, or none of the above. Uh, I think I got to go with all of the above. Technically, that answer was all of the above or none of the above. Oh, I see. I made them all up myself. Yes, those all apply. There's evidently a hearse in town. There's a particular road that's especially evil and dangerous in town. There is a building called the Slaughterhouse that you'll see the ghostly faces of its, you know, victims in the windows if you're there at the like wrong cows time. cows and pigs and stuff. There's another building, which is the exact same building as the one called the Slaughterhouse that's also called the Funeral Home. Let me say that in a less confusing way. The very same building that is called the Slaughterhouse is called by <laughs> others... Wait, I don't know how to speak English anymore. Oh my God. <laughs> the very same building that some folks call the Slaughterhouse, others call the Funeral Home. Hmm. And it more or less has the same story. There is a Children of the Corn tie-in oh. to Helltown, where some say the movie The Children of the Corn was filmed there, that satanic props for the movie were left behind, <laughs> that the movie was based on actual events that took place in Helltown, when of course it was filmed instead in Whiting, Iowa, uh-huh. uh, and didn't even take place there in the story by Stephen King. It was instead in Nebraska. Ah. Lots of satanic activity warnings 
There is a crybaby bridge, which is any kind of bridge that's relatively short but high over water and uh, typically haunted by a crying baby. I don't know why there's a lot of these across the country. <laughs> yeah. Either crying babies or like crying women, but like some kind of tragedy related uh, ghost bridge. Exactly. Tons and tons of stories. Willis himself, who is really into the ghostly and the paranormal, is even frustrated by them all. He says to keep in mind that if you share stories of Helltown with others, you are no longer entertaining others. You are spreading lies that are causing individuals to trespass, vandalize, and disrespect people's general right to privacy. And that if you could maintain a website that contains some of the above-mentioned stories, he asks that you remove them. Uh, since the vast majority of them basically just emerged on the internet and spread via the internet. Mm-hmm. To cut to perhaps more interesting content, let's talk about Helltown itself. Sure. I do like the idea that it's just like, oh, here's a bunch of stories about a place and they're all just bullshit. <laughs> they're all just gobbledygook. And some of them have emerged from genuine locations in the world, but it's just amazing how many piled on to this one location my favorite of them is the bus one because i like to picture that it's the exact same bus from into the wild like that he went out to the woods and just oh there you go ended up yeah. living in a haunted bus until he died <laughs> uh, my least favorite is the chemical oh, yeah. uh, chemical spill one because it hits so close to home so recently to uh yes. actual terrible thing happening yes. and my middle favorite is the spooky church great selections so you won't find Helltown on any map of Ohio. Rather, these legends apply to what was once the Boston Mills area of Summit mm-hmm. County. Boston Mills was first settled in 1806, um, just as the village of Boston, which is actually the oldest village in Summit County. First mill was built in the early 1820s, and then with the arrival of the Ohio and Erie Canal brought many more people to the area. And then over the next few decades... Uh, it became quite a, a flourishing region. They even had a railroad, a railroad station. Well, hot diggity. So over the years, little changed. Um, however, beginning in the late 1960s, a nationwide movement began that expressed concern over our forests being destroyed in the name of progress. And as I mentioned briefly before, in 1974, in an effort to save the forests, President Gerald Ford signed legislation that enabled National Park Services to purchase land to be used to create national parks. So shortly after that, hundreds of acres, including land within the township of Boston, were officially designated as a national a national recreation area. Mm-hmm. But of course, this forced people from their homes. So the government bought the land right out from underneath them, um, and the government began acquiring houses. There was a bit of like bartering and haggling or whatever, but there was nothing that anyone could do to reverse this effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this ultimately established the uh, Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Uh, once a house was acquired and the owners left, it was quickly boarded up and plastered with U.S.-issued no trespassing signs and would then sit vacant until the government could arrange for it to be torn down. And in some instances, they were burned to the ground, and others, they just never were torn down at all. So hmm. a very spooky scene to drive through for anybody. Yeah. So not a stretch to imagine just how creepy it would have been to uh, simply see a town of boarded-up homes. Uh, really makes me think of Centralia. Yes, I was thinking that the whole time. Um, Centralia has the slightly spookier story of an actual genuine certified mining fire that... Uh, or mine fire that 
forced people out of town. It was not in the lofty, you know, pursuit of the creation of a national park. Uh, we discussed this in episode 48 on settlements. Oh, wow. It was that long ago. Damn. I know. It's like a thousand years ago now. But, you know, I can totally, totally see, having driven through Centralia quite a few times over the course of my life, how any one of these stories would stick. You kind of pick your favorite and run with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I highly doubt anyone is walking around telling all, you know, 75 stories of Helltown. <laughs> Continuously saying all of them in a row to anyone who will listen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, that's really all it takes. And I think sort of to somewhat beat a dead horse here, we uh, it, it's just kind of in the human nature to want to tell and enjoy spooky stories. And uh, what better place than Helltown to do that with? Yes. Thank you for, for sharing this bit of Ohio. Yeah, it is. I think we both um, made the same mistake where we talked about the coolest thing from the state we talked about today in an earlier episode. You got the Loveland Frogman already in the past. I get the, the Ozark Howler already in the past. Yes. We'll just have to avoid uh, stories that happen in states unless um, we already uh, are planning to talk about a specific state that day. Exactly. So if you live in a state, we're not going to talk about it till we do. Exactly. So, yeah. My goodness. So, speaking of talking about you or your states, let's talk about some of uh, our patrons who do live in states. Ooh, one of which is actually Ohio. Look at that. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's thank our Patreon patrons using uh, this here machine, which we will now turn on. This, of course, Ooh. is the NCAA, which includes this uh, particular add-on function, the pander function why tell us about the pander function the patron appreciation neural die for evaluation evaluation of risk function <laughs> yeah stop talking about <laughs> let me try that, that again <laughs> yes the pander function simply taps into the dark ether to help us help you as our <laughs> patrons know which creature ghoulie cryptid monster otherwise strange thing out there in the world you need to avoid and is not the random search function on cryptids.com so first we're going to focus all we have on to energy. do is focus on yes. the name and it will do the work for us so here we go oh actually before we got to plug these cables into the back oh of our my heads goodness. Won't work. Yeah, yeah first we'll plug them into the backs of our brains there it creating is. us access to this uh, accursed machine now when we focus it'll actually tune into justin, justin d of malakoff texas. texas but justin, justin you gotta watch out for abada one of the names given to a supposed, a supposed unicorn living in Africa. Wow. Just the whole continent. Uh, Giovanni yeah. Cavazzi, <laughs> when traveling in uh, Portuguese Angola, heard about a creature similar to a horse, but larger and having a head similar to a deer. It had, you would expect one horn, but it had two. <laughs> one on the forehead and another on the nose. Oh. Both of them of great virtue. Interesting. Uh-huh. Yes, he also mentioned another creature called Abada, uh, which is Demba in the Two Congo bees. language, which is the African cousin of a true Indian rhinoceros and has three horns on the nose, on the forehead, and on the back. Interesting. Another man, Girolamo Maroya, or Marola, also writes about the unicorn called Abada living in Congo. It is the size of an ox but has only one horn on the forehead. Only the males are endowed with it, he must have said. So it's a rhinoceros. Yeah, it's uh, also that the word abada itself is all an old Portuguese designation for a rhinoceros uh, taken from the Malay wow. badak. 
So, so you got to watch out for rhinoceroses, especially if they're ones people haven't quite figured out yet. Yes, indeed. Or have doodled poorly. Yes. In a manuscript. And, you know, it, it looks like a horse um, in the doodle. <laughs> a good a good word of warning to us all. Yeah. Watch out for rhinoceroses. They're not uh, the best thing they're to run into. They're the most forthcoming in their friendship. Well, yes, Justin, and thank be, you be very kindly. careful, and thank you so much for your support on Patreon. We truly appreciate it. And now, to focus on Dana, Dana B. Of Cleveland, of Cleveland Ohio. Ohio. Dana. Beware the Kemerovo creature. Oh, I've seen this video. It's an unknown hairy hominid seen in Kemerovo, Russia. We talking uh, Russian squatch, pretty much. Mm-hmm. All nasty, if you will. There's a video that you can see of this beast, if you would like. I believe some kids are filming it. 2013. Yeah, you know. Footprints in a snowy field. Yeah. Footprints out of the forest, where they found the creature carrying its offspring. And then the, uh, um, they, they, they ran away. It was scary. So that is blurry. It's uh, difficult to make out what exactly is going on, but um, I think... Okay, it's not the video. It is the creature itself that you need to watch out for. Yes. So feel free to yes, watch the exactly. video. Potentially, uh, <laughs> you may need to just avoid the video, which is the main record we have of this creature. True. So This is true. What? <laughs> what? Article where the creature's offspring was mentioned. Warning. The article is written on Russian. On Russian. <laughs> tattooed onto a Russian person. <laughs> um... Uh, anyway, yes, watch out for the Kamarofo creature and or the video thereof. And thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. We, we appreciate, really appreciate what you it. do. And we appreciate all of you for listening. And, uh, and anybody who wants to support us monetarily may do so at our Patreon, which we always link to. Uh, there you may have, at any of our levels of support, you may uh, have your creature calculated for you by the Pander function, just like our two friends today. You may also uh, look forward to curated outtake reels oh, each yeah. month, uh, bonus minisodes, oh, Discord yeah. access, a hmm. Belgian beer glass. I will mail you personally. Uh, all these That's happen just for, free. for just five bucks a month. Beyond that, we have some higher tiers Ooh. where you can also get stickers and merch Ooh. discounts from our store. I mentioned the shop earlier. I have Pit. one of those shirts on today. We have a lot of cool merch. It's another way to support us without uh, just on a one-time basis is by buying a piece of swag from our shop. It's nifty. huge. If you want to support us in a way that does not involve your money or much time, let us feel first free to unplug leave us a, and then talk about that. Oh my goodness. I could tell something started to smell weird. There it goes. Much better. Burning cooking smell. As I was saying, the smell of cooking brains. <laughs> um, leave us a review. Yeah. It don't cost you nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, helps helps boost our show's uh, you know search rankings and helps other folks discover mm-hmm. all the delightful content that you get to access for free on Spotify or other podcast hosting media. Thing is, if nothing else, just tell people about the show. That's a big a big help too. We appreciate just uh, spreading the word, getting more ears on our stuff. Absolutely. Next week we're gonna talk about something a little a little fun and, and more sciencey once again. We're gonna be talking about. Uh, oh, I can't wait. Some fungus. Oh, fu- the fungus among us. Someone had to say it. Yes. Cordyceps, specifically. It's our Last of Us special, so catch that next yes. time, and uh, look forward to talking to you then. Until then, uh, but yeah, bye. Bye.